What's up, Ecosystem? Welcome back to ATI, Tuesday Nights Live. My name is Jay. Thank you so much for taking the time to join us tonight. Please do leave a like and click share, click copy, grab that YouTube link. Got a great uh, show. Please do feel welcome. Drivers, carriers, brokers, dispatchers. Actually, saw a lot of people open the email this morning, which is really cool and uh, very welcome. Please do jump in the live chat and say hello. And we're going to do this. We're going to jump into uh, This Is Tonight's Show, 313 OEM Car Haulers Part 2. And I'm um, going to be moving a little bit faster from now on. We're going to go right into the news here. What I've got is top five headlines as I've outlined them in the last week. Uh, trade shows, there's two trade shows right now. UAW strike update, dealers hauling OEM cars, top five load boards and AI, and social media business development. So let's go ahead and jump right into it. OEM car haulers part two. We had a show a couple months ago. We had OEM car haulers here with us. They are back to talk about hauling for OEMs, and this is asset-heavy car hauling. Last week's show, tracking car haulers and GPS and technologies, a controversial topic for sure. Um, there was actually, there was a lot to that. So if you haven't unpacked that show, go check it out. Also, we've got Dispatching Live this Thursday, why you may not want to start your own brokerage just yet if you're getting in as an owner-operator. Something to think about. Thursday show is going to be really interesting, so please do join us for that. Friday, we're going to be live at Talladega Speedway with Jason of Run Buggy. Um, this is the neutral zone. This is where you'll find all aspects of automotive as it touches transportation and logistics and not any overly favorable coverage here maybe at times but uh what comes around goes around because we're following the disconnect between sales and operations and we're going to be moving quickly from now on um investing in american jobs and that's why you've got a scanner that's pretty interesting somebody sent that in thank you so much for sending that in remember we're delivering auto logistics news uh and so at the top of that okay trade shows Important to note, uh, NAAA trade show happening right now. And Jay, what does it matter? Why does that affect me? Look at the sponsors. You're going to recognize some of those companies. And so what, what have they gathered to talk about? What are they sponsoring? Am I missing something? Should I be there? Uh, do I know some of those exhibitors? I'm asking those questions because this is, this is a question you do want to be asking yourself. When the trade show is happening, whether you're there or not there, what are you doing? How is it affecting your business? And uh, what you know? How about another one? Asotucon. I'm gonna try that again. Asotucon 2023. What is it? It's in Baltimore. What are they doing? They're talking uh, to dealers and marketing uh, executives and general sales managers. You want to haul for a dealership? Might be a great place to talk with. This is just a sampling of speakers at Asotucon. Again, that's happening right now. I think it started yesterday and maybe, and what's the, what are the dates on that? Asotucon. Oh, okay. So they had their second big day today. They got one more day tomorrow. And then NAAA has their first big day today and then two more days coming up. And you see this on social media. We're going to talk more about social media in a second. UAW strike. What does it mean to you? How does this affect your business? 
Uh, it's becoming a bigger deal. Oh, President Biden visited the UAW picket line at GM Operations for his historic U.S. presidential debut. President Joe Biden, I know, on Tuesday became the first sitting president in modern history to join a picket line. Biden, who has billed himself as the most pro-union president ever, spoke to workers via a megaphone saying the automakers have been doing incredibly well and that you should be doing incredibly well too. And what's interesting here, and this is why I made a post about narrative and agenda and news on Friday, is that See, if you're in the workforce and you're in the labor force and you feel like you're being underpaid, you might be able to sympathize and see, you know, what they're pointing out. We're going to we're gonna go into some statistics here in a second. Biden said you deserve what you've earned and you've earned a hell of a lot more than what you're getting paid now. UAW President Sean Fain said this industry is of our making. When we withhold our labor, we can unmake it. Does it sound familiar, anybody? Uh, Stellantis in a statement said it already matched Biden's call for a record contract. Stellantis, 21.4% compound wage increase, a billion in retirement, inflation protection measures, job security. Now, is it the 40 that was originally asked for? No. Is it reasonable? Stellantis says it's a balanced agreement that fairly rewards the workforce for their contribution to success without significantly disadvantaging Stellantis against non-union competitors, which always comes up in conversation when you start to talk about the big picture. Um, Sean Fain says the CEO pay has gone up 40%, inflation's gone up 20%, new car price up 34%, but auto workers' wages up 6%. And that's not keeping up with the cost of living. Uh, and so that would be, you know, one of the main points. Other than CEOs getting too much you know, somewhere in the middle is is the uh, is the news, but it's it's lingering as we know. All right, let's move on. I pointed this out two shows in a row, and I'm pointing it out again because I think it's applicable tonight. Are dealers picking up cars from the factory for GM and getting paid directly, so then they don't even need car haulers? And how does that affect OEM car haulers? So I want to ask that question tonight. It's going to be in the roundtable discussion coming up. Also, I say pay attention to any disruption news that might affect you. Digital auction startups disrupt wholesalers, not auctions. That's interesting. Um, how about vehicle damage detection getting smarter with AI? How is AI affecting you? You know it is. Are you paying attention to it? Or are you just getting upset about it? Right? Because I'm seeing both of those. How about I saw this today. Former Tesla exec launches a wholesale marketplace for UZVs. The pivots are going to continue. This is why I'm so bent on following the news. It is constant. It is changing. My top five car hauling load boards from, that was from, what, five years ago? I think it looks about the same, but how does yours, how does yours look? And do you use five? Do you use three? Are you still just looking at one? When you go to Central Dispatch, have you seen the volume from all to all? Do you watch as it changes and does it matter when it changes? Or when you start your day, are you are you starting with a clean slate every day? Or are you paying attention to the brokers posting loads in your areas, in your running lanes? What kind of vehicles are they? Do you know why that vehicle's moving? Is that part of your strategy or are you just starting fresh every day? Something to think about. And are you creating load alerts? We've talked a lot about, again, this gets into AI and technology for you, to help you. We know that, as we talked about on tracking car haulers, maybe there's too many mobile apps. Um, and in fact, I had the thought, what if 
What if when you booked a load, what if it started to tell you the mobile app you would need in the information? That'd be very interesting. But do those load alerts help you? I really do want to know. Actually, I think everybody wants to know, are you using load alerts and how many are you using? Um, we constantly see information shared about operations and focusing on usage of the technology and then the users the shippers, how much they're using the technology. I talked about social media. Social media is a great way to continue your own business development and pay attention to what other companies are doing and why they're doing. Why is RunBuggy at the NAAA, right? Why are so many companies at the NAAA right now? Because it's a great way to do business, to, uh, to network, to get in front again of companies you want to do business with. So if you're at the trade show, you know that. If you're not at the trade show, you don't see it, but maybe you wonder what's happening at the trade show. And by the way, if you have great social media like a blog, or maybe you have some videos, or you know, you're sharing information, this is a great way to remind companies that you want to do business with, what kind of company you run, what you're focused on, and that you're really paying attention. At ATI, we don't ship cars, we move information. Leverage ATI in your business. You can send in comments, autotransportintel at gmail.com. Remember, you can get the podcast this way. You can save time. Do you see me trying to help you save time? I am literally taking what was otherwise 50 minutes of show and packing it into 10. I'm tired of it too. Where If you miss the show, then it goes quick. But I want to point this out. I was looking at uh, the email. Man, a lot of people opened today's email, which I think says something about there is high interest in the car hauling industry. Um, a lot of people, too. This is really cool. There was a lot of clicks on just the ads inside today's email. There is great interest in what's happening in car hauling. And what I, what I found really interesting is um, over 80% of the opens of today's email uh those folks did not work in auto transport. They worked at companies that produce technology. They worked at uh, in, as brokers, that's asset light carriers. They worked in uh, other technologies, like you know, like you see um, the condition report technologies, uh, other types of businesses, many other service businesses, or drive away. But it's amazing. People are highly interested in what's happening in auto transport. I wanted to share that with you. So before we move into the panel, just to remind you, if you are feeling a little queasy from so much information so fast that doesn't seem overly partisan, it is the dispatching live effect. And um, we're, you know, we're, we're glad you're here with ATI. So it's already the end of the break. That's right. In 10 minutes, I did the news. So do me a favor, stick around because right after this, we're going to go into, we're going to bring in Joe. He is our feature segment here tonight on OEM Car Haulers Part 2. So stick around because we'll be right back. Transport AutoQuoter is by far the leading auto-quoting software on the market and the only auto-quoter with a pro version that comes preset with accurate pricing for anywhere in the U.S. So you don't have to worry about it. The best part is that no change with your current software is needed. Just plug TAQ in and start booking jobs. Carriers can easily plug TAQ into their current websites and start making money right away. I bet you're wondering how we do this instantly and accurately 24-7. Well, constant analytics is the key. 
Our Price Watch team is constantly monitoring current market conditions, paying close attention to seasonal and quick-moving industry changes. At the end of the day, it takes a lot of time and data to maintain good pricing, time that most of us just don't have on a daily basis. So free yourself up. Using TAQ Pro is really a no-brainer. Save time and money, maximizing your leads and optimizing your online investments. You'll finally be able to sleep well at night knowing that TAQ is on the job selling for you 24-7. Never missing a potential job. Auto Hauler Exchange is a new B2B marketplace, the first of its kind in the vehicle logistics industry. Auto Hauler Exchange automates the complex workflows of the vehicle logistics ecosystem by connecting large and small vehicle haulers directly with vehicle shippers. By eliminating the middleman, typically required in vehicle logistics, AHX streamlines the shipping process, cuts shipping delays, and reduces empty space on carriers and unnecessary miles while increasing revenue. Working directly with the shipper, carriers can pick and choose which opportunities fit their routing on a day-by-day -day basis to maximize their capacity and eliminate empty miles, while allowing them to plan their backhauls in advance. The exchange gives control back to carriers. By using technology, AHX creates a frictionless, efficient environment for vehicle transportation. Get off the vehicle hauler roller coaster today with Auto Hauler Exchange. Auto Hauler Exchange B2B Marketplace connects shippers directly with carriers, and that means putting the power of the business transaction back in the carrier's hands. Visit AutoHaulerExchange.com. Thank you so much for saying hello in the live chat. Really do appreciate it. Here we go. Let's bring in uh, our feature guest tonight, Joe Bercari. He's a friend of the show. He was here last week. He's back for more. Midwestern Car Carriers, Joe you see me and hear me okay? Hear you great. Glutton for punishment. Oh, yeah. It's true. It's true. <laughs> All right. So jumping right in, now we had OEM Car Haulers Part 1, where we talked a lot about, I think we spent a lot of time talking about professional drivers. So mm -hmm. I, think we, I think we covered that for the most part. Got a great uh, YouTube short out of that, too, which was pretty mm -hmm. cool. Yep. So what I wanted to do was... If you were able to catch the news, I'm just going to summarize it again. Trade shows, UAW strike, uh, dealers hauling their own cars, and social media, and AI, and load boards. It's a lot to unpack. I also know that you, you specialize in new, in the primary market, as Tom yep. likes to say it. But um, given those thoughts, kick us off. Where, where do we start? All right, well, I mean, um, you know... Uh, uh, I spent some time with family this weekend, and um, every single person that I spoke to asked me the same question: Are you being affected by the strike? And you know, to be very honest, um, if you have any hand in new vehicle delivery, the answer has to be yes. It's always yes. There's no way it can be no. Um, if you are, if you're at an affected place, then obviously the disruption is going to impact you in some fashion. If you are not in an affected place, the typical reaction of unaffected facilities is to go, you know, turn the, the production line up to 11. They thunder out everything they possibly can and push as much volume out as they can. 
um, and, 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 you know, try and get themselves in a predict in a situation so that that way, if there was a disruption that would affect them directly, they have relative insulation. If they are not a UAW facility, then they're, they're, they're chasing market share. And so, you know, whether you're there or you're not, if you're shipping new cars, are you, it would, are you affected by the strike? The answer is yes, it has to be. Um, you know, are we affected by the strike? Absolutely. We are. We're in places that that are affected directly. We're in places that are not affected directly. The answer is yes. So what do those impacts mean? What does that get into? Well, I don't want to get too deep into that, but there's business reasons for that. But right. um, what I would say is that uh, is that the smart business people in this environment, um, they stay nimble. They stay, you know, they, they keep their ear to the ground to see what is happening and how things are moving. And they, they make sure that uh, that if there are opportunities to be able to, you know, to be a part of, then you, you jump on those opportunities. And if that means, you know, directly with an OEM or directly with a carrier that you know who has a relationship with an OEM, all of those things are, are net plus. So, um, you know, it, that's my, my generally uh, vaguely political answer. Fair. Okay. Vague, vague. We accept that because, you know, right, we all have. That's why... I appreciate any time anybody's willing to go on any kind of limb on ATI to share information, it, it's hard because we have business to run and there's only so much we can do or say. But I do want to ask this. In the strike, it's the workers that are affected the most, right? Because they're not earning, they're not working. Could we say it's affecting drivers the most in car hall? Well, I, you know... Um, someone I used to know and love used to say that there's a rule of five. So for every person that has a particular job, whatever it is, whatever, wherever it is, there are five people who have some economic benefit of them that are, are, are tangentially related. So let's just say hypothetically, if you're a, if you're a driver, uh, the person who's affected is the person that sells you fuel, the person that fixes your truck, the person that you know, sells you the coffee or donuts or whatever in the morning, you know, um, potentially the management people that, that are doing or man, managing your business and dispatching your loads and things like that. Um, you know, the bank that is using, you know, your income is some is part of their business plan. And then, you know, it, it gets a little bit, you know, it's like ripples on a lake, you know, as it gets further and further out, you can still feel them, but they get less and less and less. But from from the the first person affected, there's generally uh, the rule of five I found is generally pretty reliable. It might be seven. I, I don't know who knows <laughs> who knows who the real number is. But, but the short answer is yeah. yeah. Good point. That is that's a great way to point it out. Okay. All right. So all right. So the strike definitely yes. I mean, and I would have assumed that. And I'll tell you that. So from a news perspective, mm -hmm. help me dissect the news. We the news today was Biden. But yesterday, I think it was more about more plants other than the main three being affected. Can you, in an objective way, sum up news information? Yeah. Um, the, 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 what I can say, I mean, they're not breaking any new ground here, but the short version is that um, the union feels, uh, the UAW feels satisfied with the negotiations that, have, that Ford has, has had thus far to the point where they're not going to... Um, they're not going to uh, expand their operation or expand their stoppages, you know, across broader operations for Ford. Um, you know why that is. What was the magic box that made that happen? You know, I don't know. But 
Uh, that that that's that's that's, that's behind closed doors. Okay, you know? that's fair. Okay, so but, but, Ford is it? Yeah, they're at a Ford is, in, Ford is on one level for yeah. whatever reason. The union said, you know, uh, these guys cross whatever threshold that we wanted them to cross, and so you know we believe they're serious about making a deal with us, and so we're going to uh, we're going to continue the conversation. That doesn't mean that there won't be additional possible pressure somewhere down the line. Maybe, maybe there is, maybe there isn't. You know, that again, that's behind closed doors. But you know, we're all spectators for that. Uh, the short version of the story there is that, uh, for whatever reason, Ford got singled out after last Friday. Uh, Twelve o'clock was was when they said they were going to make their next round of announcements. General Motors and Stellantis did not get singled out. Again, what box did they not tick? Don't know, you know. That, that's, that's, that's I thought Stellantis's the the information Stellantis shared was more specific and talked about twenty one point something percent. Like it seemed like they were sharing that they thought they were making reasonable negotiations. But what, I think one of the headlines I read was that Sean Fain is really show, showing union strength, and so maybe one ways in, in one of the ways and again i'm not trying to pin you down but i'm sharing i mean this is monumental news and so and, and, so let's do this let's move on to dealers well, 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 hold, oh. no no hold on hold okay up, all right so 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 let, let let let's say this okay um you know one one of the things that when you're in a no- negotiation between two parties okay and, and i'm speaking as a person who has has done this before, you know, company to company. Okay, so it, it's not really that much different when you go, you know, management, labor. You know, your your strategies change, your tactics change, your leverage changes. But at the end of the day, the tactics are not are really not that diff, diff, different. Okay, so the, the UAW has a certain list of priorities. That list of priorities, if they were smart, and I'm going to guess they are. Were outlined to the to the manufacturers at the very beginning. Said this is this is what we want. Here's 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 what we need. Okay. And and you know whatever those that list of priorities there's a there are there are the gotta haves and there are the not gotta haves. Okay, within that list. Now the company's got the same thing going. They got the gotta haves. They got the not gotta haves. The company knows that they're going to be in for. Any number of things as a part of this negotiation, and then it could be, speaking generally, it could be increases to wages, it could be, you know, more holidays, it could be any number of things. But the company sits there and says, "I already know I'm gonna, I'm here's what I'm gonna give, and here's what they gotta have. How many am I gonna give, and how many of their of their gotta haves are gonna match, and how many am I gonna give?"s can be substituted for a gotta have that doesn't align with a gotta give or gonna give, you know. So that that's the banter. That's the way this thing goes. All right. And again, speaking highly generally, this is any negotiation. This is how this this is kind of how this works. So um, it's not uncommon for these things to stretch out for a long, long time, because when when party A says, "Here's my gotta have." And party B says, I cannot give you your got to have, but here's something I'm going to give. Well, party A has to sit there and say, hold on a minute. Is the got to give something that we want? And if it is, you know, how much do we want it? If they're going to give it, is that what's that worth to us? And how does that change our got to haves? You know, or how does that change our want to haves? You know, so that's that's kind of what 
again, speaking broadly, I think that's really what's happening here is that the manufacturers are, they're, they're all tossing here, this, this, and here's, here's this, and here's, here's this. You know, I read the news like everybody. I, I look at what they say about, you know, here's our latest offer and here's our latest this and blah, blah, blah. And I'm not going to say I don't pay attention to it because I definitely look at it to see what the offer looks like. But at the, if they're not close to a deal, what they are offering today and what the union likes today or what the union is asking for today and what the company refuses today don't matter. Because right now, they're so early in the stages of tossing these proposals back and forth that it, it's probably going to be some time before either both sides can digest, okay, this is what we came up with. Now, the complicating factor here is economic action will create pressure. And that pressure, you know, it, it is going to cause one side or the other, often the company side, to, to start moving towards more dramatic decisions. How many of those dramatic decisions were already in the playbook, were already going to give? I don't know. How many of those decisions are things that the, that the union needs to go and get? I don't know. What I can say is that as of right now, for whatever reason, General Motors and Stellantis are in a different column than Ford is. And I think it's going to be very interesting to see what happens because Ford, just today I think it was, might have been yesterday, said that there was still a lot of work to do and that they were still very far apart from an, an agreement. So, yes, they dodged whatever, you know, escalation, if you want to call it escalation, could have occurred, but there's still a long way to go. This is a very, very long discussion as I see it. This is going to take quite a while for these for the parties to put together. That, that, that's what I would say. And, and don't be surprised if just because Ford looks like they are, you know, all thumbs up right now don't be surprised for that to change because at some point in time other ma other manufacturers might sit there and throw you know gonna gives out there that the uaw might sit there and say ah that, that that's a good one we want that that's a, that that's something we that that's important to us and now all of a sudden you see positioning change i i gotta tell you i i smell another youtube short within <laughs> gonna haves and gotta gives um, that was really, really well done. And by the way, you made me think of, did you see the Hollywood, I know this is different, but the Hollywood strike might be near an end. It would appear that maybe the gotta-haves and gonna-gives have found some kind of common ground. Um, and so, really interesting stuff. Let's do this. I, we well, got, we hold have, on now, that's a okay. different... Man, take wait, wait, wait a minute, time it. out, time out. You want to bring that up? So this is, that's, that's a different animal. Now that one, I can talk about the WGA and SAG-AFTRA and have absolutely no industrial impact to me whatsoever. Right. But um, that's that a totally different workers. animal, in my opinion. And, and, and that's because um, with the sheer volume, to, you know, today versus, when was, when was the last time they struck? It was like 19, like 80-something. I can't keep know, track like, of that stuff. Yeah, I don't know. 86. Yeah, probably. Well, today... With the globalization of entertainment and with streaming services having like multi-country uh, reach, production, and so on and so on and so on, uh, I think that the, um, See, the power of... The Hollywood thing I actually can talk about a, bit, a little bit, though. In yeah. that, in Hollywood, so let's do this, just to, to go tangentially, because that word was used earlier, is... Uh, 
writers, actors, and so on, the amount of production crew talent in Hollywood that is necessary to make these productions. I know it seems unnecessary, which again, I think is part of why to somebody who works up at, in, in a salon or something is thinking, well, UAW strike, you know, I just want my new car. The thing is that when you look at the division of labor in the crews that make this work happen, right there, therein lies the issue. Massive difference. Yeah. Because the amount of capacity for incoming content whether it is written content or or the production thereof that's outside of the arrangement of, of you know that that union's uh, uh, scope as opposed to you know what they are requesting you know the, the studios could sit for another year and just continue to develop films from the UK and Turkey and France and whatever and you know, have voiceover actors in England chase you know change everything over to, to you know to English or whatever it is. Well, it's it, interesting. It's the AI, yeah, actually that was one or, of the or, or that, yeah, yeah, or that. So so you're you're dealing with two very, very very. The point of this is not to, you know, assert or demean one thing or the other. The point Absolutely of not. this is is that yeah. is that you know you're dealing with an industry that where content is continuing to flow through sources. Out, completely outside of, of, of the realm of, of you know, of, of, of call it traditional production in America versus, uh, you know, versus production that but is... You know what the common thread is? Skilled labor. Well, sure. Because when it comes down to what's it going to take to replace, it, it might sound simple, but even some of the suppliers that were in the news articles I read a week ago were talking about, we do not, we're not ready to lose again this the the limited skilled workforce that we've just ramped up again after the pandemic 100 percent. yeah yeah, and, yeah. So, yeah. so so all i'm saying here is that i don't find these two labor actions to be the same i think their industries Agreed. are dynamically different i understand where, where each of them are coming from and you know i have my own opinions on you know the veracity of each argument of course but um i think that um you know what's different about the Hollywood content or the Hollywood writer strike or, or whatever I hate call it the Hollywood because it's really writers. Period. Yeah. They, they don't well, do the Hollywood, but yeah. the writer strike and the writers guild and the yeah. SAG after and all that. Yeah. What I find different is that um, is that there is so much continuing content that's available to the producers that it puts them in a very very different position than the the you know, automotive manufacturing does because the, the, the domestic OEMs depend upon this workforce and no other. There is no plan B, you know, if, oh. if that, that there's a very, very, very big difference. Sean Fain just wrote that down. Okay. <laughs> there is no plan B, but I mean, no, that is really interesting. It's a great point. Yeah. This, this strike is going to end at some point and, and we all hope it does. And we all hope it ends favorably for all parties. This end, this strike is going to end. Um, and then, what does it look like? Because when those, the, when all those factories come rumbling back to work, and then the industry starts to, you know, come back alive. You know, when when the WGA and SAG-AFTRA, when their whole job action stops, 
in, in 48 hours, we're not going to suddenly have another Iron Man movie or something. That's not how that's going to work. But in our industry, in 48 hours, we're going to go from dead to, to smoked, you know, in, in you know that much time. So, big lot of differences. Okay. All right, good. It's a good transitioning point. Do me a favor, hang on, because right after this, we're going to bring in the rest of the panel here on OEM Car Haulers Part 2. Stick around. We'll be right back. The next evolution of moving cars faster, smarter, and easier is here. Super Pay by Super Dispatch. Today, shippers waste hours managing fragmented payment systems. And carriers are left wondering, never knowing when they'll finally get the payment they're owed. SuperPay saves everyone time and hassle by securely automating payment upon proof of delivery. No more tracking down payments or onboarding carriers to disconnected payment systems. With integrated payments with SuperPay, Super Dispatch is now the only end-to-end, all-in-one auto transport platform. Automate payments where you automate transport. Super Dispatch, TMS, mobile app, Super Load Board, and Super Pay helping carriers, dispatchers, brokers, and shippers move cars and get paid fast on one auto transport platform. Visit superdispatch.com. I think that's the second time I said platform. That's okay. We're live. In fact, uh, let's do this. Let's check in with our guests here. Uh, please do help me wish a very warm welcome to the OEM Car Haulers Part 2 panel. Now, Tom, we can't see you yet. You might have a video button at the bottom. Um, Shane, oh, we come see on. I know. Can you hear me? We can hear you. And, and you know what? And that might be enough. It's all good. Um, while everybody's still coming in, we got John in here first. John Larrick, please do say hello. Hello, everybody. What's going on, John? Okay, good. We can see. Oh, there's Shane's camera. There's Tom's camera. Awesome. All right. There we go. All right. Perfect. Um, Rod, we saw you next. Please say hello. Hello, everybody. How are you guys doing? Good, good to see you. Shane, please say hello. Is everybody? Shane, awesome. <laughs> Shane is with us. First time on ATI, Tuesday Nights Live. Oh, but Jay, long time listener, first time caller. Is it? It is. Long time listener, <laughs> yeah. first time caller. So my first question is for Joe. Joe, when did you realize you were going to be a podcast sensation, and what do you think that's going to do for your future in car hauling? I had no idea, and I have no idea, respectively. Right? I had I had no idea, and therefore I have no idea. And that is the question. Um, Tom is with us. Tom, please say hello again. Wow, good evening. This is How awesome. you doing, Jay? Doing and great. It's great to see you all. And, well, it's um, great to be here. And thanks for coming back and taking the time. I had Joe going. I've introduced you guys. Now I can leave. The studio can run itself. But you heard Joe talking about contract negotiations. Anybody mm -hmm. want to pick that up or talk about something else? Well, and we and we realize there is a vagueness. We're all good with vague because mm -hmm. we don't want to. But I mean, there's got to be something to add. Well, I've got a question that I just want to throw out there. Um, and um, do we foresee um, changing compensation uh, expectations uh, as a result of, of these negotiations? One of the 
main points that the UAW uh, has thrown out there is they want to get paid 40 hours for a 32-hour work week. And, you know, I can't help but think in the old days when uh, we were working for um, some of the uh, unionized carriers and we were actually on the plant sites and so forth, um, you know, what happened at the plant sites would um, impact or it could change expectations. And I'm, I'm just curious as to the rest of the fellas that are on the panel, because they cover a wide range of places, what their thoughts might be. Fellas? Who wants to start? Feel free to jump right in, really. That's the way we do it. You know, you know, we're in the halls at a trade show, which is where you're going to be in a month. So, right? True. Okay, which I also want to mention tonight as well, but don't hold back. Jump right in, please. I tell you, I, I don't see how that scenario can be sustained because of the added workforce to cover those hours. I don't disagree. I'm just I'm just asking whether or not we think that uh, uh, the fellows, that, uh, ladies and uh, gentlemen that we have in our in our forces, are they going to um, start to have a, a, a different per, uh, perception if if that were to come about? My thoughts to that is I don't think it's really going to have much effect because we talked about this last chat um, uh, and the last um, um, roundabout. How, for example, Walmart is offering 110,000 for company drivers, and yet car haulers still want to switch over and get the same money, just pulling drive-ins, just because most of them take that as a different industry. It's just car haulers are different breeds, so they, mm -hmm. yeah. But I don't know if that answers your questions all the way, but it's just kind of similar. Hey, well, why didn't just do less work for the same money? Mm-hmm. I, I don't see the hours making much change. Okay. Uh, I don't, I mean, FMCSA has more to do than that in our industry, has more to mm -hmm. do with that than anything else. Um, I, I don't think the, the you know, the, the notion of, of the work week changes for, for a, a person who's behind the wheel. Um, does that mean that the wages have to change? Eh, I, I think it's probably too early to tell. Um, we, we saw a pretty substantial adjustment to the rate structures in, in, you know, the latter part of 2020 and early part of 2021. I think some of that was a reaction to the, the downward resistance of, of rates, uh, in the past, whether or not that, you know, we see a, a sort of a second hump. I don't know. I, I, that, that depends. I, I think there's a lot more that goes into what that you know, what that does than just, you know, simply what happens with the UAW. And, and you know, a lot of us pay percentage of revenue, for example. And so I think that there are a lot of, of um, outside factors, uh, financing and equipment pricing being being pretty, pretty substantial ones that I think are going to drive that before we get into uh, into, you know, direct wage adjustments and mm -hmm. things like that. Mm -hmm. cool um all right i'm gonna start throwing out flags here okay mm -hmm. here's a flag d 
Dealers hauling their own cars. It's always happened. Really? Never, never hasn't. So it's just a headline, but it's it's always happened. Well, the manufacturer. What's different today is the manufacturers are pushing it. Um, they right. tried pushing it. They tried pushing it in 2020 and 2021 uh, under the perception of a uh, driver shortage. Um, I, I don't have the data to suggest that it did anything substantial to the market. I, I doubt that it did, to be honest. Um, I think that anything they're doing now is really just an attempt to try and get a surge of volume out of logistics facilities and, and onto a showroom floor where they can sell a car. I think it's as simple as that. Mm -hmm. Joe, do you think it has anything to do with um, the dealers now? Um, when you buy a car, you're actually ordering the car and they're not putting inventory on the lot? Well, I, to some extent, John, it could. Um, but, I mean, if you look at the general terms of service, and I kind of talked on this, uh, I think it was last week. You know, I mean, our service time on a, on, a, on a lot is generally three, maybe four days. You know, in the scheme of things against the, the, the time to produce, which is upwards of six months in some cases, the, the lag on rail, which, you know, who knows what that could be, depending on how far it has to go and how many interchanges it has. Uh, our piece of the equation is this much. You know, I, I don't I don't know if it's if that's really moving the needle. I, I think that um, it's not nothing. But is it is that? Is that what's really, you know, is that the lion's share? I, I'm, I'm kind of skeptical, to be honest. I like to jump on that a little bit, following Joe's footstep. They've been coming to the yards and picking up cars for 20 years. And unless the dealers got a fortitude for this business, because once they come grab that thing in the yard and they take it and they're driving it and a rock chip goes through that window or whatever happens to damage that vehicle, that becomes on them. I don't think they have the fortitude for that liability. And unless they've got that car sold, and they've got a good nut coming on the back side of it. I don't think they want to fool with the logistics of that vehicle anyway. I think it's something that's more being glamorized by the OEM than being driven by dealer D. I agree. I think they don't. I don't exactly. think they have the staff. I, I don't think they have the staff. No. You talk I agree to most dealerships, and they they struggle to keep people to be able to inspect cars when we show up, let alone to be able to come, you know, drive 350 miles to go pick it up at some origin plant. So exactly, I think you're exactly right, both of you. Correct. Between the staff and the liability, it's just too much for them to handle. So why is it a headline? Just maybe it is from time to time. Well, no, I think I think that that whoever it was that you called out through an outrageous number, you know, to see what would happen and and you know I, whether it did anything or didn't, I don't know. But. It's like it's like pink sauce being big on TikTok and ask her how it's going now. <laughs> Do you know anything about pink sauce? No, um, no. Is it right, like well, green drinks? Well, it, you know, so a lady made a pink sauce. But she found out that, oh, you can't ship a uh, 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 milk ingredient in the mail and it works out okay. And the FDA came down and somebody else wanted to buy it. Now, you know, she doesn't have a business. But it was the biggest deal for a while. So right. Pink well, sauce. 
Well, I can't speak to pink sauce, but I, I, I think that uh, that that uh, um, headline has, and I think that Joe touched on it, and um, you know, and, and Shane as well. But I, I, I think that that headline is just to demonstrate to everybody just how far the manufacturers are willing to go to make sure those cars get to wherever they got to go, you know, and that they're you know asking the dealers to come get them if they can, blah blah blah. It's uh, it's a little bit more about motion rather than achievement, in my opinion. So. Um, very good. All right. Tom, you were talking about primary market. Do you have anything you wanted to add? To, um, yeah. About what, the, the strike or anything? No, I, I don't have anything to say about that. But, uh, um, you know, when it comes to the uh, uh, primary market right now, it's going to be disrupted, as Joe outlined. Um, the ripple effect is going to come in, um, and it, it could get a little um, it could get a little dicey if it goes on long. But um, right right now, I think that uh, one of the things that uh, Joel and Shane uh, alluded to, and we have to keep our eyes on, is the uh, development in the rail side of the business. I do think that there is uh, a significant opportunity in our industry uh, for uh, trucks to uh, substitute as, uh, or, or to uh, act as a, as a rail alternative. Years and years ago, we used to have an 800 mile plus range out of the assembly plants, um, you know, and that was uh, constricted by the railroads. I think um, that there's an appetite maybe for that to flip we can never be economically competitive, uh, directly competitive on a per mile basis with the railroad. But um, there are other things that we can do that would uh, help move the car and get it to destination uh, more quickly and with uh, less uh, risk to the, uh, to the cargo itself. So I, I, I think that that's going to be an emerging trend here in the next uh, year, year and a half, or it's going to continue to emerge for, for a think, number of reasons. Tom, let me add on that and say, mm -hmm. um, not that we can't be economically competitive from a total rate perspective. Um, if you just compare the line rate for truck away versus the line rate to rail, then yeah, there's a gap. Mm -hmm. But when you consider the number of touches, when you consider the amount of time involved in the transit, and especially if, you know, you know, and every single site has its own little challenges because there could be right. one interchange for this one, three interchanges for that one, and so on and so forth, and that all of which can impact the, the transit type. Now, mm -hmm. as the dealer floor plan as interest rates rise and as the dealer floor plan for these vehicles starts to mm -hmm. increase, the inflection point for, for what you'll call the standard break even is going to start to change. Right. And I think to your point, you're going to see that trucking gains an advantage, you know, plus 50 or 100 or 125 or whatever number of average right. miles. Haul. Yep. I, I think you'll see some of that. Um, however, I think the other thing is, is that the railroad, what we saw prior to, well, I mean, even kind of now, um, is that capacity is the biggest issue that they face in that, mm -hmm. you know, 
the number of buy and try level racks that they simply have throughout the network at the origin points when they need them and where they need them is not enough. And so I think that, you know, the manufacturers are, are going to have to make some difficult choices at that point of, well, you know, what, whom do I want to, which piper do I want to pay? Well, um, I think the railroads have indicated very clearly that they're not uh, willing to uh, invest in additional equipment at this point. And with the uh, uh, surge in electric vehicles on the way, um, or at least something that I wasn't aware of, is I did not realize that in some cases the uh, electric vehicles are too heavy for them to put on the third deck on a tri-level. So um, that that then changes the way the, the the configuration of the equipment that they need to buy, and uh, I think that that's impacting or slowing down their decision making. Well, Tom, like, what, do you, what do you buy for? I'd like to piggyback that what you said a little bit about the investment. They have mm -hmm. no desire to invest in these pieces of equipment. How many frankly right. have a boxcar of coal? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, car haul has traditionally been like some very low single-digit percentage of the overall revenue of the revenue of the railroads, and like 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 two or three percent. You know, I've heard it all over the years I've been in this, but um, mm -hmm. the, the amount of capital investment that that is required to cover you know two to three percent of your overall revenue. It, it just becomes an ROI question at some point, you know, for them. So, you know, are there more factors involved? Don't know. But, um, yeah, that, that, that's, that's what I've seen over the years. Mm -hmm. Well, it's like Shane says, you know, um, you, don't, you don't have a lot of damage when it comes to a boxcar or coal, and nobody scratches the grain and they don't care. I was going to, it's interesting, I was going to bring up um, rail port and terminal and EV. Anything to add to EV? I know that I thought I saw, I thought, and I don't have the article in front of me, but I thought I saw something about the auction talk about EVs were up 40% or it's more a significant part of the sale or that it's expected to be, but EVs are on their way up. We talked about EVs some, the weights, and this gets into, you know, I wanted to talk about, um, what about, you know, extending the length and the weight of car hauling? Anything, I, what, I, what I'm trying to get at and having difficulty doing <laughs> is EV and car haul are important to a, a wholesale uh, marketplace like the auction. Any, any information to add they may not be aware of? Well, the weight, you know, you hit on the weight thing, and if that's going to dovetail into your RFMCSA discussion, I think we're good at length. I think 80 feet's about as long as we really need to be and safely move up and down the, the roads of the United States. Uh, weight, though, at, at 80,000 pounds with these EVs coming in, you know, we're getting heavy into EV here and there, um, trying to make some relationships with folks that may make it and may not make it, but your average weight, Coming out of Volvo for Polestar, for example, 4,600, you go to the Rivian R1T or the R1S, they're 7,100 pounds. You're loaded back. <laughs> with not yes, sir. And then not to just take over the panel, 
But let's go into the remarketing side of EVs. I don't know if you guys have tried to pick up some EVs that have been sitting in a storage location for a while, but that is not a fun operation. <laughs> they, they sit, they die, you're running all over the place. The option is not equipped to charge those vehicles for you to get it back out of the, the other side. So this well, EV deal from the OEM perspective, into locations going into the first point of sale, they've got that pretty much figured out. When these cars start coming off a lease and you're going to see exponential increase in the next 36 months of EVs coming off a lease and trying to get the wholesale outlets, I don't, I don't even want to be a part of that deal. So I am positive. Shane, thank you, because I'm positive. The NAAA is happening right now. That National Auto Auction Association right. trade show. And right now, there has got to be a remarketer or two or ten that want to know more about what you're talking about. Where are the auctions when it comes to EV transportation and logistics? <laughs> they kind of look at you and hand you your date pass. <laughs> Say that again. Say that again. They look at you and hand you your date pass. So pretty much yeah. it's all you, Chief. Figure it out and get it on the truck and get it out of here. Right. So what can be done? Is there room for an education piece from... Uh, say an organization like AHA to bring to the NAAA. What, right? Is there something there? That would be a good idea. That that would actually be a very good project, don't you think, Shane? Yeah, I'd, I'd like to hear from Mr. Larrick. He's heavy on the remarketing side, probably bigger than any of us. And what's he seeing when it's coming to him? Well, yeah, we are. We're seeing a problem with them not running. Um, but what we're finding out is there's a lot of mixed loads. So we're throwing a couple um, cars in with it, but we have to watch our weight. We are losing. We are losing all the automobiles that we're moving on that side of it. And it's not just load factor, and it's not just getting them started or, right, because there must be, and I'm sure there's data about this, the longer it sits or where it sits, the temperature of where it sits for a certain amount of length of time. I don't know what all the factors are, but I'm sure there's plenty. And actually, we had Martin Romju from Bobbit Media uh, join a live uh, segment about a month or two ago, just talking about there was, let alone the safety, just the safety alone of maintaining EVs in an auction was pretty eye-opening. To add to um, you, Jay, real quick, on the remarketing yeah. side, now when we inspect vehicles, we have to actually get underneath them, make sure there's no damage on the bottom. Because if we pick it up and there's a gouge, that's a good like, $15,000 now for the, uh, for the batteries. So it's another thing that we have to look out for, because even if they, if they run. Hey, I have Holy to smokes. That's a good point. Thought about that. Good point. Yeah, it is. <laughs> a lot of times I have to pay for one. That's how I learned. <laughs> The hard way. Yeah. The low, low to the ground, a lot of times we don't see it. They get it up on the truck. This right. much, exactly. They lift it and you always see it's yeah. just a tiny, tiny this cuff. It's not even a gouge. Right. There's not a lot of room. You get up there and you say, oh, man, I missed it. And, you know, you already got it out of the auction. So, uh, right. And you're stuff. talking about on the battery, right? Correct. Oh, just right. the bottom surface, just the bottom cover. Which the is, yeah, which is the whole bottom, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> And it can be a very minor, what looks like otherwise a minor situation. That could be a puncture of a battery or something, right? 
Holy mackerel, that, that's got to right. slow your, your whole process down. I mean, not that it's a quick process in an or, you know, picking it up uh, out from an auction in the first place, but holy smokes. Who inspects for that? I mean, how? You know, yeah, that's hard. You got to get one of those border patrol, I guess, mirror that sticks under the car. <laughs> yeah, well, but I mean, this only is where, so hey, some of that, so some of the next level AI scanning technology is going to come in handy. Yeah. So, right? That thing's going to catch that stuff. You well, have a little camera. does that. It'll catch it for the auction, but it's not going to catch it for us. Exactly. Ah, yeah. and yeah. this is why their technology <laughs> should interact with transportation and logistics more. No, just, they won't do that. <laughs> they you won't do they? that. <laughs> Come on. Well, they won't right. do that anymore. The railroad right. doesn't do it today because the, first, the the last person holding the bag gets to win the gets to win the prize that's inside. So, and you all know what's in the side of the bag. So, that that that's how no, that that won't happen. We 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 have as an industry, we have to fund our way towards that solution. So, you know, finding some sort of AI solution sounds fantastic, but you better make it cost effective because otherwise it ain't getting anywhere. That's the key. Well, I will say, see, this is where, so like Black Widow, they're at NAAA right now talking about their next level camera technology and scanning technology. UVI is another one where it's like an MRI for a car. They're putting it at the plant, at the dealership, not everywhere, but you know, it's, it's newer. And then there's other mobile app technologies, which is mobile app technologies is another thing I wanted to talk about. I mean, are there too many mobile apps? This came up last week. Does anybody have anything to add about mobile apps and technologies that won't keep us here another hour? <laughs> That's it. Definitely I said my piece. More. You said it last week, did you? I did. Okay. Yeah. Well, well, I gotta go. Yeah. I gotta go tune into the show. No, it's, here. we're here now. So, Rod, you said we don't need more. Is that what you said? We don't need more. I mean, the drivers are like they're losing it. They're like, what apps am I using for for what clients, for what broker, for what OEM? It's just getting a little too much. I mean, it's there to protect us, which is great. But I mean, we're talking on average. I think minimum of five or six. Yeah, but that, that was brought up like five years ago, real time. Everybody wants real time, real time. I'll tell you, there's a lot of work to be real time. It is a lot of work. I mean, and, it's, and it's it really isn't. Yep. Well, but it that, really it, isn't. <laughs> no, <laughs> it doesn't. It doesn't. You're right. It, it, I think the summary from last week was Does the shipper need to be able to see a GPS pinpoint as it crosses the country? Or are there just periodic updates, either from the logistics team or a technology or something like that? But again, that's a different issue than the mobile app itself, the driver mobile app. Um, I don't know. And then we got here because we're yeah, talking as long about as, we're, yeah. as long as we're transparent with the customers, customers don't, don't really ask us for it because we're providing that through our TMSs. Hey, this vehicle is going to be there on a specific day. This is where I think Joe pointed out new versus used, right? right? Primary exactly. versus secondary market is a big difference when it comes to what kind of updates you need to give to whom. Correct. I, don't, I, I never thought you needed it with new because they know when it gets set up for Joe's company knows when it gets put on the truck. And once it's put on the truck, it's delivered right away. That's like it. they said, it's the used cars. Um, 
you know, when I'm picking them up in the auction and stuff, yeah, these guys don't know where their cars are. We understand that. So um, right. they just got to pick the companies and they won't have a problem. And see, here's the funny thing. When I set up that show topic, I really meant used, but, you know, Joe works in new and had a lot to say. So, yeah, it, this is a problem in used, but it, it remains to be a problem. I think there are still many shippers in the secondary market that are unhappy with where's my car. Right? Why can't I why can't I know? It's usually on the small dealer side. Uh, big franchise dealers don't really care as much. I think it's the small dealers or small wholesalers right. that really care about those details. I, I have yet to have a driver call or I've yet to have an OEM call right. me and yeah. say, why, why is your truck parked next to the Taco Bell on, you know, on Highway 53? <laughs> you know, well, he ate at the Highway, he ate at the Taco Bell on Highway 53, and he hasn't left yet. I well, Burger King I've men never here. had that happen. Right, so exactly. Right, never, never, never has this happened. That's fair. Um, no. All right, moving along, because we're doing great. This is really, we've already been here 45 <laughs> minutes, I think. Actually, the panel's been here 30. And so, actually, before I move on to my next topic, let me ask you this. It's in a month. Right? What's in a, what's in a month? Aha. Uh Aha. -huh. Uh -huh. All right. Cool. So, this is when you're about 30 days away, you're, you're, you know, you pretty much know what you're going to do when you're connecting with friends and talking about, you know. Tell me more. What's happening in 30 days? And why? I got something. I got something on this. Okay. Uh, just... Just this morning, I was reading that FMCSA is now looking at uh, speed limit legislation. Right. Where they would force a 68-mile-an-hour speed limit. And what FMCSA typically does is they, they say, this is what we're looking at. And then they allow for a period of people to come back with whatever their responses are. And then they mm -hmm. take all of those responses and read them very, very carefully and ignore everything that was said and just do what they want, want anyway. So, in essence, mm -hmm. FMCSA has telegraphed that within the next 12 to 18 months, they're going to force a 68-mile-an-hour speed limit on all commercial vehicles above, I think, it's 20,000 pounds, which is all of us. Um, so, I think this is going to be a problem, and I think that this is... Another thing that will drive people away from the overall trucking industry, but certainly also car hauling. Um, certainly there are some places when you don't need more than 68 miles an hour. But where you, when you run where I run, when you're, go, when you're talking about places like Kansas, Nebraska, Iowa, where you know, you, you're not going from city to city to city. You're going from town to town to mm -hmm. town. That's a big problem. And I think it's going to be really interesting to see how the feedback comes. Well, what's it going to do to metropolitan areas, even off-peak times? Now you've got right. to slow down a good 7 to 10 miles an hour, slow down in everyone's way. I think it's a traffic issue, and I understand safety concerns. And then that also goes to available hours of service. You're going to have to have some kind of a rate increase to keep drivers involved because – if you're losing four miles an hour a day for 11 hours, 44 miles, doesn't sound like a big deal. That might be a it is. That's a big deal. Shane, Shane, you're right. You're exactly right. You're, you're on point. 
Shane, you're exactly right what you're saying, but I don't think that it's a, a miles issue. I don't think it's an hours issue. I don't think it's a production issue. I think that people are going to say to hell with this crap and leave the industry and just go build widgets or weld wagons or whatever. They'll just freaking leave. I think I think it's a, a it's going to make people leave the trucking industry on the whole. Oh, I agree. Yeah, like Shane said, is too. It's it's more of a safety thing. When we slow down, we gonna wherever we at. It's gonna be a gridlock in the big cities. I mean, we're already going slowing up, but leading up to the cities, we can build so, up. It, it sounds like you're also saying this is already happening. It's not like it's being discussed. It's just well, being implemented. Well, look at it this way: how how many times is a person in a 45 mile an hour getting a zone getting ticketed for going 70? The answer is not not a lot. It, it usually, if someone's getting ticketed in in a 45 mile an hour zone. You know, it's it's not going to be by, you know, that 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 rate of speed. It'll be something, you know, far, far less than that. Something more intuitive to what you would expect. Additionally, how many people are, are going through that zone and don't get ticketed because they're not breaking the law? The upper speed limit doesn't matter as long as they're not breaking the law at the limit that's less than whatever the number is. So, you know, that that's I think the, the that that's kind of the gist of the argument there. I do think there is a safety concern, no doubt. Everything these guys said, I agree with. Um, I, I don't know. Just to me, I think it's going to be a detractor. To the is the evidence there to to do this? Because it does seem like. I mean, I don't drive a truck, and I can see why. This is why people are frustrated with truck drivers, right? Moving side by side. Yep. Well, that's because they they're they're governed out, right? They no longer and and what. At some point, like, screw it, everybody. I can't go faster than 68. I don't care anymore. Is that happening? I'm assuming that's the conversation happening inside of trucks across America. Screw it. I don't care. I'm just driving. Right. It's your dumb law. Am I wrong? <laughs> I don't know. I'm not wrong. Okay. No, I, that's when I usually, okay. Uh, well, all right, so, yeah, go ahead. Well, one, one comment. If you were to okay. take all of the, uh, if you were to take all the, the, the highway safety records, from when FMCSA instituted ELD and compare them to a similar time period prior to when they instituted ELD, every safety KPI went the wrong direction. Right. Every one of them. More crashes, more... Every every one of them. So, <laughs> at this point, I think they're just grabbing at straws. From AB5 to ELD to speed limiters to undercarriage guards, it always seems to go the wrong way. Wrong way. Wow. Um, thanks a lot, everybody, for real uplifting. Um, okay, so <laughs> in fact, speaking of, okay, I do want to ask. It's my final topic. Um, asset light carriers... Uh, in the OEM negotiation business. Anything to add? Here's why I say that. I know it's dangerous ground, but it would seem that this is a really tough, I mean, it's tough to say something, but it's that, right? If you have the equipment and you have the expenses and you have the drivers, then you know your cost. But if you don't have all those things and you're able to get the contract and then find out after the fact there was a reason why, 
the asset-heavy guy had the higher price. What is that doing to market conditions, contracts, loads, drivers, the marketplace? Or am I wrong? No. What happened there, though? And then, Tom, I don't need to step on you. No, go ahead. Go, 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 go. Go. Market's self-adjusted. So you can come in and you can say whatever you want about being asset light. And you can sell the story that you're going to do it at this point. Once you can't get, somebody got to own a truck. And once you can't get a truck in there to move that iron, that sit, the market will self-correct. So I don't think there's a real fear of asset light um, doing any damage. There's spots for asset light in our industry. I come from, you know, there's a spot for asset light. But that spot is a quick response to a short-term problem where you can take assets in that area, map up the pricing to you, and get the job done. I don't see asset being a threat to um, a traditional car haul company in the future at all. But they are, Shane. But they are. There are asset light companies that hold long-term contracts from customers that you know the name of. Mm -hmm. and, and they have, and they broker 90% of the traffic. Mm -hmm. Happens every day. I think, I think in, a, in a certain sense, what Shane says is true. I think the market is self-correcting. Um, I think that it just takes a long, long time. Um, I think I think that market pullbacks are what tell you all you need to know about the, the, the overall strength of a business plan of a particular business case. Unfortunately, you know, none of us want a market pullback. <laughs> that's not a good thing. But, um, you know, that that's when I that's when I, I think you're, you're going to see what happens to the um, to the, the asset lights. That nature will take its course, is one of my favorite people likes to say, and Shane knows who I'm talking about. So, uh, I think that really the market depends, or the really what happens in the market is what we're going to see going forward. If the market be, be, continues to be extremely robust, where the capacity is above and beyond what the the uh, the, the fleeted carriers are able to to to, to book and maneuver around. Then I think you're going to continue to see asset uh, light companies uh, gain access to certain things. However, when that doesn't happen anymore, and when the market goes in, in, in a very, very different direction, I think there will be a, an interesting change, and I look forward to seeing how that works out for some. Nature will take its course. It's on the back of the business card. Yep. Oh, he's right. He's right, and and you know the the and Shane is as well. I mean, it is going to be self-correcting from the standpoint that if they continue to grow their footprint, it's going to provide a disincentive to asset-based carriers. Who's going to invest four hundred and fifty thousand dollars in in a nine-car rig to to have it being taken by some guy who? You know, he he has a phone call, and he he might know a guy with a with a truck. Um, I, I the the problem that I see is that the the correction time uh, is going to take too long. Um, I I do think it's going to self correct, Joe. I or uh, Shane, and then Joe. I agree with you. Nature's going to take its course, but I sure would like to see it move a little quicker. 
because, yeah. um, you know, in the meantime, we all have assets that we need to feed. Well, there's, there's going to be, I, I think what you're saying, you know, the, the capital investment side of, mm-hmm. of this business, you know, I, I don't care who you are or where you are. If you are, no one is sitting there with a suitcase full of cash that says, <laughs> give me the, give me the green one and the orange one and the blue one over there. That's not how right. that works in car hauling. And so, you know, in order for you to be able to perform those those financial gymnastics, you have to put together an ROI. You have to provide all, all kinds of paperwork, relationships. How many times? Every time I'm on this cast, I say something about how relationships matter in this industry. Um, you know, the relationships that you have with the funding people and the relationships you have with your, with your banks and with the people who are reviewing your financials because they do renew, review your financials. Yeah. You know, these people are investing tens of millions of dollars in your ability to be able to keep up with your monthly payments, they are going to ask you what your financials look like from time to time to time. And they're probably not, you know, they may sound obnoxious, but they're the, it's the right thing to do. So, you know, without some sort of, of, uh, of business case to be able to establish that I have this revenue coming in, therefore I can justify the cost of this capital investment, mm-hmm. you know, without one without the other is not a long-term success story for anybody. Someone is mm-hmm. going to get hurt. And, you know, Tom, to your point, I think I, I really agree. I wish it would be a little quicker to see mm-hmm. those kinds of things happen. Unfortunately, we've seen bad actors in the industry survive for a lot longer than anyone ever could have possibly yes. expected over the years, you know, and it, you see how that that shakes out, and you know, who knows? Right. Who knows? I agree. Maybe that's why it takes so long. I guess I don't know. Bonus question: Load boards. Anything to say? Well, I think they have a value. I mean, they definitely we, do. They do. We 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 it's use them to fill in empty miles. Simple as that. You know, we have we we have surges and, and, and droughts in our network like everybody else and in order to to cover one direction or the other, if there's something on there that, that, that helps, then you know, it's a simple business case. Correct. I mean we mainly use it just to kind of stop keep our network uh, increase our network as far as because some most of the dealers now find that old boards as they're purchasing vehicles from the big auctions. They get the link direct to the load boards, so we keep an eye on it just so we can increase our remarketing uh, side. And like uh, Joe said, is it's a backhaul or deadhead miles. Means well, to an end. Well, that was easy. All right. <laughs> so I, first, I do want to say this, um, Shane. It was great having you on. For, Shane, is this the first show? Is this, this your first, is show? The first yeah. show? Yeah. I'm surprised I was invited. Oh, stop. Oh, come on. Can't say that. Yeah. We're glad you could join us. Uh, We'll look forward to seeing you. That's the way this works is it's kind of like it's it's one of them lifeboats. You know, we pull you in the lifeboat and now you're stuck here. So, you know, (laughs) thanks for joining the lifeboat. And I want to know, so so here's the next installment. This is kind of how we end the show. We talk about what could be done next. Um, I, dare I say OEM Car Haulers Part 3. 
you know, starts to sound like a horror story, but it's not because uh, what I'd like to do is I'd like to catch up again uh, after AHA. I'd like to see, you know, I'd like to see this panel have a influence discussion on something at AHA and another piece of candy breaks loose out of the pinata and there's an idea for another show. Right? Sounds like a plan. Mm-hmm. It does, right? sounds like a plan. Okay, good. I really mm-hmm. in whatever form that is. And and what I really tried to do tonight was get get everything going, get it started up, and then, you know, let you guys take over because you're who we want to hear from. I promise that the live chat and viewers on demand would rather hear what it is that you have to say and there's more to come. So please let me know. In a, in a couple months, what we could do before the end of the year as another show. And who we can add into the lifeboat. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll wear a vest. If you can yeah, put a show together, before, I'll wear a vest. Before we get out of here tonight, but I was listening to all the information. It was unbelievable. Oh, thank you. Yeah, you a lot of info tonight, you know? Well... I tried to shorten the beginning segment a lot more. I handed over to the panel earlier. So that's the new format. Worked out good. Yeah, awesome. All right. Well, I don't want to keep you all any longer. Thank you so much. I think think Shane's got his final. Oh, I couldn't hear. Thank you. Real quick, both to to John and to Rod, thank you. You guys are operators of support at some of our operating locations, and it's much appreciated. Joe, you and I know where we're at. And Tom, it's always good to see you, old friend. Always. Hey, thank you. Yeah. Yep. Pleasure. You too. Like you said, said, networking is really good. And uh, I think if we keep this up, we're going to have a strong team, you know, and that's what's important. Absolutely. Say hey to Jonathan for me, John. I will. And do me a favor. I won't be at AHA, but when you're at the bar late that night, Pour a little shot for me. That's the Jay, Jay's shot. He's sitting right there. there you Don't go. touch it. He'll be here next year. All right. Come with us on this live boat. Yeah, yeah, well. There you go. Well, we'll help each other. It just yeah. takes time. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Listen, thanks. Thanks so much, you all. I really appreciate it. Joe, John, mm-hmm. Rod, Shane, Tom, thank you very much. Have a great mm-hmm. night. You too. Thanks, thanks everyone. Thanks. And there's the meeting, and that's a cut. Okay, back to uh, back to camera one. Um, I do want to say this: that uh, oh, wrong. there we go. Jump in the live chat for those of you that I missed. I, I really wanted to focus on the panel. I had uh, I had I had some notes, and then I made some notes, and I, I keep this stuff. And then when I go and do the podcast, I'm looking at notes, go and look try to figure out what I want to make a YouTube short out of. So I didn't get a chance to say hello to everybody in the live chat. Thank you so much for jumping in, Daryl. And uh, let's see. Oh, and uh, Sky was in here earlier, too, and Carlos and Devin. And so I really appreciate it. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in saying hello. Uh, different format here. Things keep changing on ATI, but um, this will be the constant. The channel will always be here. It just may continue to look different over time. That's not a problem. That's how business is. And these, some of these news stories, like I literally, I'll read news today. I literally read today the article about the, I think it was a former Tesla exec now looking at uh, launching a 
wholesale technology for um, the trade, buy, and sell of used EVs. It's just going to keep on, I mean, it's going to keep on changing. And do me a favor. Don't forget. Do try to use try to use social media before the end of the month. We're almost there. Try to make a post on social media that you don't normally do, uh, whether it's on LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, uh, YouTube. And if you need help or ideas, send me an email: autotransportintel at gmail.com. It's a great way to let others know what you're up to, and it is another way to uh, kind of reinvigorate what your core marketing message is what are your main services and i'll say this too is that i see i'm seeing a lot of podcasts come and a lot of podcasts go because if that's not your core business it's not going to last what's your core business focus on that tell others about it and then see if you can uh hook your train onto other trains are rolling and network and grow your business. That's what the trade shows are really all about. So thanks, everybody, so much. I'm going to run the car hauler. I'm going to end the show. Thank you, Transport Auto Quoter, Auto Hauler Exchange, and Super Dispatch, Murphy Auto Transport Services. Be sure to join us on Thursday for Dispatching Live. We have an amazing guest talking about don't start your own brokerage and why. If you're looking at freight broker training, maybe think again. Here comes the car hauler. See you soon. Thanks. Thanks.